Hey, this is Alex Terranova, and this is the Dream Mason Podcast. We've been taught to behave, to fit in, to follow the rules, but Dream Masons reject conventional thought. Dream Masons are rebels. They take a chisel to the marble that is typical traditional life. They carve out brilliance and broadcast it to the world. Join me for another chapter as we unmask convention, embrace the rebels within us, and more deeply come to explore the complex and agitated edges of our existence. Now, before we get started, please don't be a rebel yet and grab your phone and hit that little button that says subscribe. Thank you. Because your dreams don't build themselves. What's up and welcome back to the Dream Mason podcast. I am your host, Alex Terranova. I'm a, another year older coming to this podcast today. Um, I got asked this morning, do I feel older? And uh, it's crazy to say I turned 39 yesterday, the day before we reported, recorded this. And the person who I'm on this podcast with, I think we probably met when we were like 16 years old. So it's pretty wild to, to have another person from, I want to say, a younger period of my life when he and I and so many of us were such different people. Um, and I love that because I love the idea that like we're human beings and we're fluid. And if we can change from when we're 16 to 30 or almost 40, then we can change from that, you know, almost 40 to 42 or 45. It doesn't need to take 20 years. But um, I think the biggest takeaway that I want to share on this episode is just the reflection that I had yesterday, spent the day pretty much alone for most of the day. In the morning, I was with a friend and at night I was with a friend, but like for the chunk of the day, I was by myself and with my dog. And in the past, I would have thought that would have been really sad and depressing. I would have been like, oh, I'm not getting hammered. I'm not celebrating. Birthdays were like a day of consumption. Get stuff. Um, like, like either consume alcohol, consume excessive partying, try to have sex, like, you know, have people celebrating you. But it was all external to make you feel good about who, you know, you were inside. And yesterday was the opposite. Like I had coffee with a friend in the morning who I haven't seen in a long time and we just caught up. And then I took my dog to the dog beach in Del Mar in San Diego and like walked on the beach for two hours and just like looked at the water and looked at the mountains. And I like felt such at peace um, and so calm. And it was like so joyful just to watch her run around and like play. And like, you know, she runs and she looks back at me like, is it okay? And I did some kind of spiritual activities when I was there to kind of like let go of things I wanted to let go of in myself and then like what I wanted to take on. And then when I left, I drove the coast, which was again, like really nice. How often do we do like these things where we just like don't have to be anywhere or do anything. And I was just with myself and listened to a lot of music, took myself out to lunch. Again, my dog was with me. Um, and then I did a two hour sensory deprivation tank, which is two hours is the longest I've ever done. Um, and that was a wild, wild ride. The takeaway from that was, man, we need to chase passion more. We need to chase pleasure more. Pleasure is a good thing. It's okay to feel good. It's okay to have enjoyment, whether that means like sexually or other ways, like pleasure is something like, why are we denying it? And we should chase it more often. Um, but yeah, the big takeaway yesterday was that my birthday was about rebirth and recreation and reinvention into the next phase, not about like all the shit I can get. Uh, and I think it was probably the first time that my birthday was like about inside out versus outside in. So that being said, um, 
take what you want from that. I'm going to introduce you to our guest. So our guest today, he grew up in Santa Monica, California. We actually went to high school together. The, as far back as I can remember is like we had a, we, I don't know if we were, he was a freshman and I was a sophomore, but it was like early. It was like early high school. And um, that's where we first met. We didn't know each other super well, but we like ran in similar circles. We knew each other. We have similar friends. And a few, when I started this podcast, I saw he was like in, I'm gonna, I might even say the place wrong, but like Indonesia, like Bali, places like that. And he was doing these amazing shoots with drones. And it seemed like he was all over the world. And I was really fascinated by the idea that he had cre- it looked like he had created a business based on a passion. So I actually reached out to him to talk about that. We never actually did the podcast. <clears throat> and then recently over the last year, because of social media, I've been following what he's been doing, which has really been blowing my mind. He has been traveling the country, documenting and, and building a documentary around the wildness that is America right now. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. He's been going to Trump rallies. He's been going to protests on the like BLM side. He's been going to uh, other political pro- protests, let's say, on the left side. He's been going to um, you know, what stop the steel protests on the right side. Um, I don't even know all the names for these things. I'm, I'm doing some generalizing here, but he's, what I love is he's been going to things on both sides, blending in, not trying to make anyone wrong and really just giving people the space to tell them their truth and show us a side of America that most of us are only seeing through major media or what people are telling us we're seeing. Whereas through the, his lens where you, it feels like you're actually right there and you get an idea of what's going on. Um, so b- besides that, he, uh, he was a sociology student. He has taken this career and, um, and turned it into something totally different. So uh, uh, a photography career and a travel, travel became photography, photography became documentary filmmaking. Um, and we'll find out what he's up to because he's all over the place and I'm like really inspired and I really want to get into this. Uh, Ronald Weaver, from back in the day, welcome to the Dream Mason podcast, man. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Happy belated birthday! Thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, it's just been a it's been a wild ride the last seven months, and you know, kind of uh, <laughs> balancing the physical exhaustion with just the the mental gymnastics um, has been the most enduring and consuming thing I've ever tried to do in my entire life. <laughs> You're always posting videos of like all the camera equipment, like going through security. And I know for most of us, it's like, oh, you got to bring a backpack and like, what you got to take your computer out. And we're like, oh my God. And we like make a big deal out of it. You have like 18 trays. Um, I'm curious, like just from a simplistic perspective, there's a lot of shit that makes like creating what we want challenging. That looks like one of them. How do you deal with, all of those little like kind of annoying, frustrating components that you have to do to be able to create what you want to create. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the first things that you have to kind of accept with everything you do are the, the little things that are required. Like, you know, if you're living in LA where we're from and you want to live on the West side and near the beach, but have a job in Hollywood, you have to accept the fact that you're going to be in traffic possibly two hours a day. And yeah, you can dwell on that day after day, or you can just accept it and say, okay, well, I'm, I'm giving up two hours a day to be in the car, to be able to be next to the beach. And I, and I kind of 
use that sort of thought process with dealing with some of the more painstaking and annoying things that go along with being a filmmaker that travels. Like, like you said, like the, the TSA is my arch nemesis. Like I've had so many arguments with these people. They've fucking made my life so difficult at times. And I'm, I feel like I'm a patient person. I still uh, can't deal with these people uh, half the time, but you know, again, like, knowing that I have to go through to TSA, knowing that I'm going to have to take an Uber no matter what and say, instead of taking the more, um, I guess, uh, more efficient subway, you know, like people rant and rave about the ability to go on the subway to the airport for like seven bucks, as opposed to a $70 Uber. But it's just one of those costs that you have to just put up with, uh, to do what I do. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of try to just keep my eyes on the prize. I, I, I scored a couple times early on in the protest. And what I mean by that is I just, I was on the ball and I knew where I needed to be. And I captured some, you know, once in a lifetime historic moments. And some of the travels where I flew down to Louisville or I drove down to Virginia or I went to the Million MAGA March in DC required a bit of risk, um, a calculated risk, but also, you know, throwing money at it and knowing that I'd have to endure through all of these annoying things to uh to make it happen yeah and you just talked about like you've been i want to say i don't know chased harassed by police um i'm sure there's been times where you've also been saved maybe by police i don't know you could you know maybe, maybe situation i don't know you have to tell me that but i've seen you um in situations where you're on both sides like you're with standing with guys that are like carrying loaded automatic weapons and talking about them on, on both sides of the aisle. Yep. And it seems like when I've watched it, I'm like, fuck man, this looks dangerous. Looks, looks scary. I've seen you in the midst of like riots and things. What's the, um, have there, have there been moments where you're like, shit, am I going to get out of here? Like alive? Yeah. I mean, obviously coming from California, living in New York, um, you know, open carry and and big semi-automatic rifles are just not a thing that we grew up around. And so, you know, the first time I saw a gun when I was down in Louisville was shocking and I did have a reaction. Um, but you just get numb to this stuff. You know, you get into volatile situations over and over and over again, and you just leal, you just learn to cope with it. Um, and I think one of the biggest defense mechanisms is concentrating on filming. If you're a photographer or you're a videographer or a filmmaker, cinematographer, you're paying so much attention to your craft, your exposure, your focus, your framing, your positioning, your six o'clock, your sides, that you're not really processing the danger um, as much as you would be if you were just a regular bystander. So I think that helps just kind of ignoring it to a certain sense. Like when you see someone you know, with his big ass gun walking down the street, instead of like backing up and like taking cover like you normally would, you're thinking about, okay, well, I need to get about 30 feet ahead of them, slight 45 degree angle. Let me crouch to make them look more powerful. You know, so when you get your mind kind of fixated on the specificities and the little specifications of, of filming, you're not really processing the the clear and present danger and and that also presents a danger right if you're not paying attention to what potentially could happen to you you might be putting yourself at risk so it's a constant kind of balance of uh 
surveying and understanding the danger, but also capturing what's going on. From your perspective, what's the, what's the thing people, you know, you've actually, let me say this. How many of you, how many events have you been to, do you think over the course of the last year? I think I'm getting close to 150 plus. And you think they're like, um, are they pretty split between like left and right? Or is it more one way? Or the I, I other? think I went to, I think I went to over a hundred uh, BLM, uh, you know, related protests and probably about 30 to 50 uh, right wing Trump protests, rallies, et cetera. So from your, from that experience and perspective, what's the kind of most shocking or surprising thing that you'd want to share about the left side that you saw? Hmm. That is a good question. That's interesting. You know, being someone that, that identifies with the left and, and, you know, feeling the sense of like team teammates and teamwork, you know, it's, it's hard for something to happen where I'm so alarmed, where I, I, I get disgusted or I start to question their motives. But yeah, I mean, Hey, like I was in the midst of some pretty heavy riots, um, in that first week after George Floyd's murder. So, you know, I heard some things being said that were kind of repulsive, you know, and I, and I saw some people doing some things that I could never condone. I, I might be able to understand those things, but you know, they're, they're hard to defend. Um, so I, I'd say the most shocking things I saw were just, you know, the, the rioting and the looting of, of that first week, um, you know, late May, early June. Um, but, you know, over the weeks, um, you know, considering I, I used to identify with far left and now I've, I've gone much further to the right where I occupy this space of maybe in between moderate liberal or moderate Democrat and, and like far left or, or like progressive, super progressive. Um, and, and that happened because I, I just couldn't stand behind some of the things I was hearing, you know, not that I, you know, uh, rejected them completely or 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 vilified the people that were saying it, it just didn't align with, with my politics or my ideology. Um, so yeah, that's the left. Yeah. And I'm with you. Like, I think I, I thought, I thought of this as I was in the, in the heat of the last few years and being in a relationship with somebody over some of that time that saw the world very differently than I did, that the farther you go to the right and the farther you go to the left, you meet back on like, like those two extremes are it's like they meet each other at the same point at some point, right? They're like all in the same. And the further they go apart, the the wilder it gets versus like what you said is I've been like you, like I would have identified as left before. And as this year has gone on, I've definitely realized, wow, I'm like way more center because I don't condone and I don't believe a lot of the things, but I also do not agree or condone a lot of the things on the other side. And I do believe that there's harmony and possibility when we, if we actually like work together and we actually put like, Hey, some of the things on the right, some like, let's say some red States do things better than some blue States and some blue States do things better than red States. What if we actually put the good ideas together and actually helped each other? But you know, right. um, that's a, that's a bigger conversation for another podcast. What on the right, what's, what's the most shocking or surprising experiences you've had over there? Well, I mean, you know, and, and I will say this and include both sides uh, and, and kind of a shocking revelation that I, I've kind of come to once I crossed over to the right was just this like gross misunderstanding of each other. 
You know, um, I, I think that both sides throw the other side under this broad, you know, under the, this broad bus, I guess you could say. And uh, yeah, just a lack of understanding for me seems to be like right there at the core of, of some of the problems that we're having. But in terms of, yeah, shocking things on the right, um, you know, as I, I started to infiltrate their side more and more, I started to realize how vastly um, widespread some of these conspiracy theories are. And, you know, I, I had heard of QAnon, I had heard of some of these, uh, you know, anti-left, anti-Democrat conspiracy theories, but I really didn't understand how deep it went. And, and like I said, how widespread they were. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's, you know, once you've talked to a hundred people on that side and mind you, a lot of the events I have gone to were either Trump rallies or Trump protests. And those are a certain type of conservative, just like, you know, some of the protests in October, you know, five months after the protest ended, it was the far left mostly, or people that identified with very progressive politics, whereas the Trump side was far right. So it was, it was hard to get kind of a, a full understanding of the right side by going to these events because these were Trump fanatics, not just Trump supporters. Um, but yeah, it was shocking just to hear this, this, this fear of communism. Um, it, was, it was upsetting to hear that everyone I talked to, maybe 95 plus percent of people I talked to on the right, couldn't get their mind off of the violent scenes that the mass media has been pushing out to us in regards to the protests over the summer. And after going to a hundred plus events, I can tell you only about 5% of them or less were actually violent or, or something that could be labeled as a riot. The other 95% were completely peaceful. Um, and, you know, kind of getting painted by that broad brush, knowing that they were talking essentially about me, um, what was, was painful. Uh, and, and I'll say the last shocking thing that I heard was that, you know, a lot of people I talked to, surprisingly enough, and this this is what also aided to me having a, a much deeper understanding of the of the other side, was the fact that many people supported the fact that, you know, George Floyd was killed in an outrageous fashion and that the, the cops should be punished and that police brutality is a problem. Whether or not they said it was a problem that disproportionately affected black people is a different story, but they acknowledged that police brutality is a problem. I mean, it's impossible to reject, but it was clear that as time went on, as they saw some of these protests develop into riots, as they saw some of these cities catch on fire and the looting start, people started to kind of inch back and say, you know, there's a way to protest. It's peacefully. I, have, I don't have a problem with people exercising their First Amendment rights, you know, but as soon as it goes to riots, as soon as there's damage, then it's a problem. And, and stacking up all those interviews and then playing them after what we saw on Wednesday at the Capitol building um, serves up quite a bit of irony. But, you know, hey, they've already come up with some excuses. I hate saying nay, because it's, it's us. We're all on well, the same team. Yeah. And I think you're speaking to something that the hypocrisy exists like super clearly on both sides, right? Like we see, we'll see, um, you know, there's, there's clips and I wish I had one. I was looking at one the other day, but there's like clips of democratic leaders saying something like, if this happens, this should be the result. 
And then it happens on the left side and they're not doing that. And same thing on the right, right? There's people like, you know, Lindsey Graham will say something really specific and then it happens on the right. And it's like, well, what like uh, Merrick Garland was an example of that, right? Like no outgoing president, you know, for the uh, Supreme Court. And then, right, it's like, it happens right away. So there's a, I wanna be really clear, hypocrisy on both sides and probably equally, whereas people just want what they want and they're willing to say whatever the fuck they have to say to justify getting what they want is what it feels like to me. Yeah, we're we're humans, you know. Um, It's a lot easier to condemn the other side. It's a lot easier to condemn someone that that doesn't agree with you. Um, And it's a lot harder to place blame on yourself or your people or people that agree with you. I mean, it's just it's just human nature, you know. And and people pretend to be better than that, but the, the the reality is is there's definitely hypocrisy on both sides. I'd argue that it's worse on the right, but again, it, it's it's clearly present on both sides. That and, and you actually just said something that I think I've noticed a lot, which is um that both sides have a completely different narrative of the same events. Yeah. So right, like so the left will argue that the media is not showing right like what's really going on on the right. And the right will argue the media is not showing what's really going on on the left. And um, and I know you see this recently where like the right, people on the right are arguing like communism is coming, fascism is coming to America. And the right is arguing that Trump's trying to stop that. Mm-hmm. And the left is arguing the exact same thing, but that Trump is that. Yeah, that he's pushing it forward. Right? my mind. And then here, this is the kicker. So I don't know how much you know. I have a lot. I have friends on the right. I have friends on the left. And I, and I constantly now ask them because everyone's like, look at history. So I constantly ask people, Hey, what do you know about McCarthyism? I don't know if, I don't know how much, you know, or don't know. And this isn't a history quiz or show, but if if people are listening, like you should go back to 1950, 1954 and look at jo- who Joseph McCarthy was and how he accused everyone of being a communist and people got blacklisted and people lost their jobs and people did all these things. And it was all about power and control and he used communism to do that. And I see this is playing out the exact same way, but now it's socialism a little more than communism. And, and both sides are doing it, right? The, re- the left is saying it's fascism. The right is saying it's communism or socialism. Um, but it's, it's wild. Um, is there anything yeah. else you want to, I, I want to talk a little bit about race and that, how that plays in a part, but is there anything else you want to share about like just these kind of deep dive experiences that you've been on? Yeah. I mean, look, uh, I originally started going to Trump events because I was curious. I had been filming black lives matter protests for about five months and it was an up and down experience. It started off with such like an empowering feeling as a black man in America, obviously that fight was my fight. So not only was I documenting it, but I was a part of it, you know, I was supporting it. And uh, you know, not to come full circle, but there were points in the movement where, you know, I got frustrated, I got disappointed. I had less faith that they'd actually be able to make tangible change that would affect my life, a black American. Um, And yeah, that led me to the other side, especially after going down to Louisville. And like you said, kind of like rubbing elbows with these militia, huge gun toting dudes. And I just wanted to understand the right. I just wanted to have a better understanding of where they were coming from. 
And, you know, like you mentioned, I, I went incognito. I, I wore a Trump beanie at times. I wore a cowboy hat at other times. And that wasn't try to fool people. I, I wasn't out there to try to make fun of them or or to make light of them or to bring back the footage to the left and doctor it in a way where, you know, I could kind of further their agenda and, and further the making them feel like they're right about their 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 notions. But I was there to figure things out and, and being incognito helped me ensure that they'd be transparent when talking to me. Um, and I realized that it's impossible to throw all Trump voters or all Republicans under this broad, you know, racist, bigoted, white supremacist umbrella. Um, and I realized that, you know, a, a lot of people out there that voted for Trump, even some of the people or, or maybe a, a significant percentage of the people that are Trump fanatics are good people. They just have been duped, in my opinion. Um, and Donald Trump is just the best at <laughs> conning people. Unfortunately, that's my opinion. But uh, yeah, so, so that's I wanted to get that off my chest. Yeah, I think um, I think you do a really great job. It's one of the reasons I love watching. We should tell people what's your social media handle? Where are you posting all this stuff? It's RW2 Productions. And then you have, and that's on like Instagram, right? Is it where else is it? That's Instagram. Um, I'd say my most, the second most prolific thing would probably be that that's kind of where all my stuff lives. You know, it, it's tough as a documentary filmmaker to build up like a grassroots following that'll help when I, you know, push forward to finish this thing without like, you know, giving up too much. So I post stuff to get people like you and other people from my past and also to pull in new people to see exactly what I'm doing and give them kind of a, a preview of what I've been working on the last six or seven months. And you do, I think the thing that I'm, that I really love is, you know, look, we can watch the daily show and like all these things. And they like, it's, it's like sort of news, but it's also like aimed at being funny. Right. It's sat satire and they go and the guys on those things like Jordan Kepler, I'm sure, you know, like, right. He goes in and he makes fun of Trump supporters and like, Hey, it's good for a laugh, but I don't think it's making a difference like in any way. What I notice about you that I love is you, you actually do the opposite of what you, you do the opposite of that. And what you said is you actually go, you fit in, and you give somebody a platform to say their piece. You don't make fun of them. You don't even like push them or challenge them. You might ask questions to make them think or answer, but I, I really appreciate that. Cause while I think, Hey, it's all great. And we want to have a good laugh and memes are funny and whatever, but they actually hurt too. And the more we make fun, the more the right makes fun of the left and the more the left makes fun of the right, the more divided we get versus actually what you're saying you're doing is I'm just trying to understand which occurs as like a healing modality versus a division modality. For sure. I mean, the, the point is, is that many people on the right, especially Trump fans, especially those that were keeping their affiliation with Trump low key for the last three years up until recently, um, are just tired of getting shunned for their beliefs, which they are totally um, entitled to have to a certain extent. Like I, I preach tolerance, obviously some things like bigotry, um, and white supremacy, or in my opinion, a rejection of systemic racism being a thing is a problem. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if, if the differences between us are ideological in the sense of, of, you know, abortion or small government versus big government or 
gun rights. Like these are like fundamental differences that aren't going to change. And, and it's, it's hard to say one person is right or one person is wrong. You have to accept those and move on. Um, and I think that a lot of people that I know on the left um, haven't been willing to uh, come to terms with that. And then on top of that, they'd rather shun the other side and put them down and feel greater than um, then try to bring them in and, and, and come together. It, it's a lot of cliche shit, but it, it needs to happen. I mean, look what's going on in our country right now. Yeah. I'm curious how race and being a black man has like impacted this. And I actually want to go back like to growing up, right? Cause you grew up in Santa Monica, which is going to be primarily white yep. mix of Hispanic, black, black Asian would be more, probably a smaller dynamic in there. Um, and you know, the, the, when I think back to like high school, right. You probably fit into like the minority more often than not. Um, what was your first, do you remember like your first experience, like maybe thinking like, Oh, my experience is a little different than maybe my friends or other people. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if, if I could tell you a specific example, really, I, I think there was maybe one that stuck out in my mind where I realized how real racism is, um, you know, as a black kid growing up um, to any parents, but specifically my parents and, and probably most black parents, there's like a certain amount of education that you have to instill in your children to make them aware of the history of this nation. Um, the fact that racism exists, um, the fact that police might treat you differently and you have to be very careful. Um, you know, these are all things that aren't taught in school, especially a predominantly white school. Right. Um, so I, I knew about those things early on before I was even able, before I was even able to completely understand them or experience them. So when you get told these things and you haven't experienced them, it's, it's kind of like, all right, well, this thing exists, but I haven't really seen it. Not that I'm skeptical about it, but, you know, maybe I just can go through life and not get affected by it, especially growing up in Santa Monica, you know, this relatively diverse culture, very liberal, very open. You know, I had mostly white friends growing up and, and race was something that just never got mentioned that much because we looked at each other as Ronald, Joe and Jerry instead of, you know, black, white and Latino. Um, but, you know, there was an experience where I was with my dad and there was just this this guy that was treating him real bad and it made no sense. And my dad was getting pissed off. And, and I almost got upset with my dad for overreacting because I didn't see what it was. And 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 yeah, it's tough to navigate this world and accuse people of being racist when it's not blatant. But there are times where it's hard to give people the benefit of the doubt when people are treating you unfairly, giving you weird looks, and there's no real basis behind that. Um, it's kind of hard to write that off as, oh, that person's just an asshole or, oh, oh that person's just having a bad day. Um, you know, a lot of racism, individual to individual, is very subtle these days. And that's one of the phenomenons about Trump is that a lot of this racism has kind of percolated up. And now it's a lot more present and, and people are being a lot more vocal. Um, but yeah, like uh, like I said, like growing up in a predominantly white city and school and. and Yeah, just being a black man in America, uh, 
it's difficult and it's, it is something that is hard to understand if you're not black. It, it's very subtle at times. It's very nuanced. Um, you know, just, you know, being the first thing that people identify you as is black or when most of your friends are white and like the only way to describe a situation is you say, Oh, this black guy. And it's like, if the guy was white, they just would have said this guy. And it's just like, that type yeah. of shit like kind of eats at you. These are these microaggressions that, yeah, like as a black dude, you're used to having to like swallow those and just being like, oh, he didn't mean it like that. But that shit builds up and it, and it is a factor. So, yeah. you Somebody I had on this podcast um, a while back offered me this practice and he was like, hey, just listen to your thoughts when it comes up around what people look like and race. And I was like, all right, like, I'm totally down for this. I like want to continue to evolve and be a better human. And, you know, and I, I'm aware that I'm, I do, can't understand what it's like to be you and I fuck up, right? I say things I shouldn't say. And it's, and the only way I can get better is to acknowledge it and actually get aware and then practice doing better. Yeah. But I had this experience recently, I was walking on the bay and there's all these rentals, right? In San Diego on the bay. Yeah. And there's two young black guys, I don't know, probably like college age. And their dad, who's probably like in his, like in his 40, early 40s. And um, as I'm walking down the bay, they're all out and they're doing like calisthenic -y kind of exercises. And this is like the bay in San Diego, right? It's almost all white. Yeah. And I walk by and I'm like, and I, and, I'm, and I don't say anything. I mean, I'm just walking my dog, but they're doing their thing and I walk by. And the thought that I hear in my head is, oh, like, I wonder what they're training for. Like, what, like, what do they play? What sport, right? Right. And I pause and I'm not doing anything bad. I don't say this. I don't offend them. Right. But I pause and I go, dude, that's such a racist thought, like not racist, like bad. I'm not hurting them. Right. But it is a, we could call it prejudice. We could call it racist. Like there's, I exercise all the time. Do, do, does that mean I'm a professional athlete? Like a lot of, right. I see a white lady running by me. I don't think she's an Olympian. Um, but I, I, I kind of go, oh, that's, that's one of those things. That's so cool that you notice that, right? Like, and that you checked yourself and that they just some family exercising on the beach. Like who knows, right? The dad could be in, on Wall Street. Like you have no idea. He could be a doctor. But my assumption was they must be athletes. The dad must be like a former athlete or a coach. And it was like, man, that's a, that is a way that I could say something or relate to people that is inadvertently racist and I don't even realize unless I pay attention. Um, and yeah, I mean, a lot of this stuff is is deeply embedded. Totally. And that's one of the issues, the gripes that I have with some of what uh, cancel culture has done has, you know, on one end, it's it's brought you to that situation where you thought about it in your head and you might have checked yourself and you learned internally. But then there's a whole nother side of it where people are scared to say yeah. what they want to say. And I think that's a problem in that, hey, like, if you're racist, I want you to say something racist so I know. Like, like that helps me. I think before Trump and, and, you know, maybe over the last 20 or 30 years, we're talking about post-civil rights movement, people have, have realized what's racist and have kept that inside. Even if they want to say it and understand it's racist, it might even align with, with the fact that it's racist. They keep that inside. And I'm like, hey, just say it. Just say it. So I know. But that's, well, that's me. I think the cool thing too is like, like I feel comfortable in these conversations. Cause there's a there's a I know I can like apologize. Like I know I could be like, shit, Ronald, I didn't 
I clearly don't know. You know what I mean? But I think, and that's, to me, there's such an opportunity in that. And that's a grown space. I haven't always been like that, but like I grew into that being like, man, I want to be honest and open. And if somebody like Ronald or whoever were to say to me, Hey, that's kind of like a, like, you shouldn't say that, or this is why this is how it's offensive. It's not like a, you shouldn't say that. Cause that's where we then hide it. Cause we just think we're bad. Then it's like, you can evolve and grow. But what's cool is I find that I can more deeply connect with people that are different from me because I can be honest. They can be honest and we can clean up situations because we are human and we're not perfect. For sure. um, and there's just so many people that, you know, like you said, they just don't understand why something is offensive. I mean, sometimes things are offensive to one person that aren't offen- offensive to the next totally. that occupy the same, you know, ethnic group, let's say. I mean, my girlfriend who's white said something the other night, an anecdotal story and laughed. And I kind of was like, well, oh, that's, you know, if I heard that joke, I definitely wouldn't laugh. And she was like, oh, and she got a little upset because she was like, how could I be so ignorant to that. And I told her, I was like, this is a learning experience. Like now, you know, and now you understand, but it, it wouldn't, it's not unreasonable for her to not know that until yeah. someone told her. So if you don't have black people around you or any kind of like marker to gauge how the things you say affect others, how, how can you know? Yeah. And people hear it so often as like being wrong versus like your feelings are valid my feelings are valid. Your feelings aren't better or worse than mine. So as somebody, I think like if we would think about it as it's not about like you telling me or you telling your girlfriend that she's wrong or did it bad. It's kind of like, Hey, I want to share with you how that impacted me. And since I know you care about me, I would think that you would not want to impact me like that. And I, that's how I think about it. It is like, if somebody says to me, when I hear like white privilege, I don't, that's not, I'm not, it's not an attack. I'm like, oh, I have like, you're basically saying that there's a race and I got to start ahead of you in the race. So part of it is like, well, that's kind of lucky for me, right? And if I'm aware of it, then I can go, well, do I want to be starting ahead of other people? Do I want to try to find a way for us all to start at the same place? But it's, to you said before, it's like a, a place of growth. Sorry about this dog does not like our conversation. I don't know if you can hear that. Um, yeah. This is the the remote podcasting. Um, but I think like if you, people claim to care about people, right? They care about people. They want people to live good lives. To me, that's what it's about. Because if I care about people, then even if I don't think what I said was wrong, it actually doesn't matter what I think because I hurt someone's feelings or had them feel uncomfortable because I care about people would have me not want to do that anymore. Um, I I want to um, talk a little about like how it's impacted you out there on the, in the world, like in these, especially on like the, well, actually you could look at it on both sides. How has being a black man impacted? Like when you go onto the left with the camera and how is it when you go onto the right? Well, first starting with the left, since, you know, all of this started with the Black Lives Matter protests. Um, I was raised up, you know, like I think it was a point in the movement to lift up black voices, lift up, up black artists. Um, so I was given so much love, just unbelievable love. Uh, my, my following grew. I just got the most amazing messages week after week. I mean, the support and the positive feedback is really what kept me pushing because this stuff was rough. You know, the first 13 days of protests in New York City, I was out there for 10 to 12 hours a day, 
riding my bike from Brooklyn to Manhattan and back, you know, like risking arrests, risking bodily injury. And the only thing that kept going, kept me going was, was the positive feedback. And just this, like I said, this uplifting um, sense of motiva- motivation from my audience. Um, and honestly, when I went over to the right, I didn't know what to expect. Um, especially considering my preconceived notions about, you know, conservatives and Trump fans and Trump fanatics. But I quickly realized that there's a phenomenon amongst the right. And it's that if you are black and you identify as a conservative or Republican, they are your biggest fans. Like they love you. They love you. And it's no surprise that a person like Candace Owens can garner such support and such just just love. And I don't think she would be a thing or she definitely wouldn't be as popular if she was white. I'm certain of that. And what is it? I don't know. I think it's a combination of, you know, many of these Trump people, especially those that don't consider themselves racist, look at a black conservative and say, see, look, if he is a conservative and he's black, then how can being a conservative make you racist just off the jump? Okay. And also on top of that, I've had so many interesting conversations with, you know, some white Republicans, some white Trump fanatics that I'd probably say are, have some racist thoughts and ideas. Um, and it's crazy because a lot of times they'll confide in me as this black person that they can finally open up to because they know that I won't get offended because I put facts over feelings and I am not all about being politically correct. And I'm not as sensitive. So therefore, you know, let me tell you about this time. And this is what happened. And how dare they call me racist for saying that? And, you know, how dare they, you know, you know, rise up behind this George Floyd guy who was a drug addict and a criminal and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, and I'm just listening with my camera, just shaking my head and kind of just, oh, wow. Yeah. You know, like not trying to set the alarm off. Um, but other than that, I, I, you know, with that said, I will say that I haven't experienced direct racism one time in my journey to the right. Um, and whether or not that's because they weren't racist is, is probably besides the fact, I think that just people are on their best behavior, especially because I was a black man with a camera. It's like, if you're overtly racist to this black guy with a camera, it's going to see the light of the day. So let's, let's not steer in that direction. I think that might be an excuse for some, but the other thing is that I don't think that outright racist people would interview with me in the first place. Like I'd go into these Trump rallies and a lot of people would be super nice and super polite, but another five or 10% or maybe more would walk by me and give me the, that evil eye that, that hard to give them the benefit of the doubt look. And they didn't want to have anything to do with me. So I don't reject the idea that there's racists amongst the crowd. I just think that it's a lot less than I would have thought before having gone into that crowd. And like I said, my personal experiences, people have treated me really well. Um, But I take that with a grain of salt, knowing that I did have a camera and I did have a Trump beanie on or a cowboy hat. And I've seen videos of black protesters entering Trump rallies when he was running for president and they were just getting hounded and tossed out. And I know that if I would have broken my cover and and came clean about my political affiliation, I probably would have gotten ran out of several of those events. Yeah. 
Um, what are there's I want to, um, <laughs> so much, man. I like want to ask you a funny question and then I want to just yeah. talk to you for a minute about like passion into profit before, yeah. I, before we go to the passion kind of doing chasing passion profits, sorry, chasing passion projects into profit. What is the wildest conspiracy theory that you've heard from either side, whatever, what's the one that you're just like blew your mind? Uh, I mean, I'm going to tell you too, because, because they're, they're good. And, and this one was a new one that I heard in Atlanta. And I, I guess other people had heard it when I posted it on my Instagram, but this lady claimed that George Floyd wasn't even dead. And that there was a guy that looked identically like George Floyd at his memorial in Houston. And, you know, there aren't that many, you know, six, five foot black guys with a bald head and, and wearing this like fifth ward sweatshirt. And it's just like, and then in response to that, in one of the DMs, someone was like, oh, yeah, it gets worse. There's a conspiracy theory going out that George Soros personally paid George Floyd to go move to some remote island so that they could perpetuate this story of George Floyd dying at the hands of the police. So that's that's one. But I mean, Q takes the cake. Like, let's let's be honest. I mean, I. I knew the surface level QAnon stuff, which I think a lot of people do understand that the Democrats and the elite and Hollywood is is secretly conspiring to do evil shit. But when you start to unpackage what this evil shit is, it includes kidnapping and raping children. It includes killing them and collecting their blood to get this like adrenochrome, which keeps people young. Um, like this, this, okay. So I, I interviewed this person and, and this person I'm not really allowed to divulge because it's it's part of something I've been shooting for somebody else. But this kid basically said that, you know, he was such a fan of Disney. He used to love Disney movies. But then he found out that Disney is part of this cabal, this this group, you know, Democrats, elite Hollywood. And he said, you know, I always wanted to go to the Disney vacation island on the cruise. But it turns out that they actually kidnap kids on that island put them in a submarine and take them 11 miles away underwater to Jeffrey Epstein's Island, where they'll later be raped and killed and have their blood harvested for uh, the fountain of youth. Man. Uh, (laughs) A lot. um, It's a lot. It is a lot. Um, I think the crazy thing about all of it is that, if you were there and you told me that, maybe I'd believe you, right? If you got taken in the submarine or whatever. Like, I believe the people that say like wild stories about Michael Jackson. Like some have like really detailed stories. They were there, it's them, right? But if I and told Epstein. you, what? I said in Epstein, like the like the the severity at which this guy was like bringing in underage kids to, yeah. to molest was unreal. It happened, it happened. Yeah. And there, and there's like women that like, I believe the women that talk about it. And, you know, I look at things like, you know, I'm sorry to break it to people, but like, look, if Clinton wasn't, is, is buddies with Epstein, so is Trump. Like you don't get to like say, oh, like he, it's like, they're in all these photos together. They're all doing the same shit. So fine. If you want to believe it, it's kind of like, Man, I believe one plus one equals two, except when it doesn't benefit me for it to equal two. And then that time it doesn't equal two, it's different. 
you're, you have to do the math differently. Um, but yeah, dude, I, man, I, I, I actually go and I read and I do, I read about a lot of these things because first of all, I think it's really sad and entertaining. Um, but I also just, it's just mind blowing. Like I want to read and see what, and like, I'll follow the, I'll follow the footprints. Um, and it is, and, and to me, it's like, it, if it feels like real, like a lot of science fiction, it probably is. Um, Scientology. I'm not not saying it's impossible, but if it feel if it if it, you know, somebody said to me on this podcast, Joe Biden. We have there's videos of Joe Biden like having sex with children. Well, if that's the case, Trump's been president for four years. Why didn't he do something about it? Why didn't he put the video out? (laughs) Yeah, like this is the thing. Like if it exists, if if you know about it as a random person, but like the, the FBI, the DOJ, they're all run by conservatives for the last four years. Why didn't they do something? Which yeah. just is like, Hey, sure. Is it possible? Absolutely. But if it was, if I just don't buy that, like you could hide something like that. All right. Let's wrap up with how you, um, took a, a passion and, and have turned it into profit. So it started with traveling and becoming a, a, a camp, like a photographer and creating videos. And now it's into a space of documentary filmmaking. What do you think was the, like, when you look back in hindsight, what's been like the biggest lesson of that journey? You know, this is a, a tough subject because I feel like there is a little bit of luck involved. I think that when you have a passion and when you're really into something, it's a lot easier to just put 110% effort into making it happen. But, you know, I've always been one that has taken some risks and I haven't been scared to kind of take that leap of faith when it comes to, you know, investing money or moving halfway across the world or, you know, taking opportunities that have, you know, a high risk and, and low potential for reward. So I think for me, um, the passion is what drove it. And to be honest, like, I think there are ways that you can control your luck and that that's, you know, being a good person, you know, being able to get along with people. I think so many of the connections that I've made had just as much to do with my personality and getting along with people and being fair and reasonable and nice and trustworthy as it did my, my skill sets, you know, when it comes to production and photography and a lot of the arts, it's who, you know, and not what, you know, so therefore how you interact with people could dictate your, your level of success. Obviously, you know, I I think photographers specifically um, are, are, you know, people claim they're assholes and they're not nice. And yeah, you can get away with that once you're at the top, but in order to climb that, that, that ladder and to get out there, um, you have to interact with people. Um, and then the other thing is just working on your craft. And I think that is a, a byproduct of passion. Um, you know, skills are obviously important in this trade. And I wouldn't be where I'm at today if I wouldn't have just put my head down and went on YouTube University and practice, practice, practice. And took a side job so that I could facilitate, 
you know, this career that wasn't bringing me in enough money initially, but to keep going, I've met so many people that are like, well, how do I do it? Like I have this job, I wanna be a pro photographer, but they're too scared to get rid of that job and go for it. And I think it does require making sacrifices. And I think the same can be said about most entrepreneurial kind of, uh, you know, missions or, or, or attempts. You really gotta take some risks and be confident and just work your fucking ass off. There's a, um, I often hear when I talk to people about like chasing their passion or their purpose or whatever that thing is, that would actually like light them up. They would have them get out of bed in the morning, like excited for their life. Not like, fuck it's Monday. Um, and you hear like all the excuses. Well, you don't understand. I have kids, I have responsibilities. I have this, I have that. And I, I get like, those are real, right? You, yes. you made, you made choices and you created, you bought a house, you had babies, like you have responsibilities. Yes. What would you say, what would you say to people who are living a lot, like living lives that they don't want to be living and they know that there's actually something they want to be pursuing, but they keep making excuses? Look, uh, I mean, I am not a very religious person, but I hope I'm wrong about something like heaven. Like I hope that once you die, you go to this magical land where you live eternally and smile and everything is just and right. But there's a very large possibility that this is it. Like you might only have one life to live. And like you just talked about turning 39, I'm 37. I might be halfway through my life. And to know that people spend 75% of their lives working, working, working to be able to do something. Well, when, you know, I, I, I'd love to have kids. I'd love, I think that that's one of the most important goals in life as a human. Um, but at the same time, like I, I want to fulfill my potential. And a lot of times that means putting some things to the side and really going after what you want, because look, like, I've I, I another reason why I, I'm at where I'm at today is I, I really was after that pursuit of happiness. You know, I knew that I wanted to do this and I knew that I loved to travel and I knew I loved to immerse myself in other cultures. So I fucking did it, you know, and that's easier said than done, especially because I didn't have responsibilities like a mortgage or kids back in the day. But I prioritized certain things over others and that made things possible. Um, And yeah, I mean, take that with a grain of salt because not everyone can easily just, you know, drop everything and go for it because, you know, there are going to be a lot of people that fail. But I I think it's important, not just in in regards to your passion, but just in life, make sure you enjoy it because it's very possible you're only given one. And at any moment you can get diagnosed or you can get into a car accident or you can get mugged and, and, and that's it. So, I mean, balance that you know, the reality that life is precious with pursuing happiness. Yeah. You just hit on something like, even if there is a heaven that is like a beautiful paradise, well, why do you have to suffer through this one to get there? Why can't you have double, why can't you like love this life and create joy in this life and then get the bonus one later? But like worst case, you created passion and love and play and fun and purpose and, and connection here. And you're not just like living this. It's not like you're like written bearing it through this just to get to the next one. You know, even if you really know, you feel in your heart that it's there. Why not love this life also? That to me is the thing is like 
find a way, cause I'm with you, like find a way to love this life. And it might not look the way you thought the way I thought I was going to love my life is not the way I'm living it now. And sure. it's the best it's ever been. Um, Ronald. Hey, Hey man, thanks for go, being man. here. Thanks for being here. Thanks for doing this with me. Um, we're going to have to have you come back when your project is either done or closer to done. Um, but I just want to acknowledge you. Thanks for the work you're doing for showing both sides for being like, you know, not, not taking sides, not trying to make people look bad, but just give people a platform to speak their truth, whether you agree with it or not and letting people feel heard and connected with, um, Thanks for having the ability to also like bite your tongue and like be with people that aren't like, you know, necessarily agree with you or might not even like you if they knew the truth. It's an extraordinary skill. Um, it, it's really cool to see how you've grown and watch you um, and see what you're doing. Um, it's, it's really inspiring. I know when I watch your videos, I feel like I should do more. People should do more, but um, it's, it's just, it's really inspiring. Thanks for what you do. Uh, and so if people can see what you do. Then you should go to pixel weavermedia.com or on Instagram, RW2 Productions. And I'll put all that in the show notes. Awesome. You know, thanks so much for having me and, and giving me a chance to kind of further uh, spread out this, this message or, or kind of, you know, share with people what I've learned, which I, I feel like is important for both sides to realize, uh, especially as things are starting to seemingly fall apart and crumble. Like we really need to figure out ways to not just put up with each other, but to, to understand each other. And I think that's the first step in, in progressing forward as a nation and as a people. So thanks for having me. And I, I would love to come back when, when things are, are done on the documentary end, dude. Thanks, man. And everyone listening, please check out what he's doing. I'm seriously, I strong, I strongly advocate you check out the videos on Instagram. You will be not only enter entertained, but I think educated and it'll open up your mind just to a lot of things that you may have not seen or uh, not experienced. Thanks for listening to another episode of this podcast, the Dream Mason podcast. Please, I hope you got something from today. And if you didn't, or you know someone who did, please share it with them. And uh, I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Honestly, I'm just a rebel who found a cause and has a dream, and I'm super grateful for your support. If you got anything from this, please help me out and share this podcast with one person today. You can find me at thedreammason.com or at inspirationalalex on Instagram. You are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves. <laughs>